Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you once again from beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. This is episode 20. Today I'm going to begin taking you to one of my most special places in golf. Over the course of a handful of episodes, I'm going to take you to the hills of eastern Kentucky, to Floyd County and to the mountain ridge sitting above the town of Prestonsburg, where you'll find Stonecrest Golf Course. If you've never spent any time in the central Appalachia Mountains, it's hard to describe how beautiful the region can be and what makes it so special. These are not the jagged, snow-covered peaks of the Rocky Mountains or the arid high country plateaus out west. The Appalachians are older and gentler, time having softened their sharp ridges. They're green and gray, covered in all forms of flora, from ancient old-growth hardwood forest reaching for the sky to the rhododendron and ferns thriving on the ground below, and kudzu sometimes in all places in between the two. Towns in the hills aren't always easy to get to, and the culture remains insular and guarded at first blush while time marches on in the world around them. But the area and the people are amazing. There are good reasons why every politician and every celebrity that's ever visited the area has wanted to do something to preserve such natural and important beauty. And it's in this setting that we find Stonecrest Golf Course. It's a championship quality 18-hole golf course built as part of a mountaintop removal mining reclamation project. Yeah, that's easy for me to say. What does that mean? Well, it means roughly that they dynamited the top off a mountain so that they could more easily mine the coal underneath it. Now, there's obviously a lot more technically involved, and that's why I've turned to my friend, golf architect Brian Ross, to explain a little bit about what happened at Stonecrest and why it's such a unique site in golf. He knows and explains the ins and outs of the history of the place much better than I ever could. Brian's an extremely sharp guy. He's a golf course architect, which makes him part designer, part engineer, part artist, and part technician, part romantic, and full-time problem solver. More importantly to this story and to this discussion, he is of the mountains, himself growing up in that corner of the world where Virginia, West Virginia, and Kentucky meet, and Appalachia largely to its own. Before my conversation with Brian, a quick reminder that this show is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows which you can find over at TalkingGolf.com, just one G in there. You can interact with the show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod, on Instagram at BlindShotsPodcast, and as always, there will be links in the show notes uh, on your feed and over on the blog where the original episode was posted, so feel free to check those out. A reminder, this podcast is sponsored by me, in addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf. I'm a licensed Kentucky Realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. I work both with homeowners buying and selling homes and also with investors and businesses on commercial properties here in central Kentucky. You can find me at davidhill.rhr.com. Reach out if you've got a real estate question or if there's a conversation you've been putting off that you want to have with a professional. And now, down to the hills we go, two short hours southeast of Lexington to Stonecrest with Brian Ross. First of all, you're from that part of the country. Yeah, that, that's right. I grew up in Lee County, Virginia, which is the, the very tip county of Virginia. So where Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia meet down at the Cumberland Gap. And so I grew up um, playing golf all over southwest Virginia, eastern Kentucky, northeast Tennessee. Uh, played a lot of golf courses. My cousin and I would go somewhere different almost every weekend after church on Sunday. And um, 
Stonecrest is is one of those places really on the far end of where we would venture typically. Um, I probably grew up about, I'd say it was about two hours from there. Uh, right down on Route 23, that would basically take 23 the whole way up, um, up through, you know, Pound Gap, up through Jenkins, Pikeville, on up to, to Stonecrest. And so kind of been been all over that area a lot of uh, a lot of mountain golf a lot of hilly golf and so stonecrest when that when that place opened it was kind of a a new it was a breath of fresh air in a way because it, even though it's on top of a mountain it doesn't play like most of the golf courses in that area that's right now you said it's about two hours to get there but as the crow flies that was what 50 miles explain to folks that have never been in that part of the country what the the terrain is like you know from kind of a colloquial version if you know that the tech if you have any of the technical knowledge there to explain just how hilly and how kind of remote that area can yeah yeah i mean i study aerial images google earth google maps all the time right i'm always looking at at things from above trying to get a better perspective of what you know what what this site's like studying the topography and and it's a it's a really interesting part of the country you know most of the cities and towns along route 23 as you go up you know from really from tennessee all the way up into kentucky they they all follow either a hillside or or as the case with route 23 is typically the the visa fork river for most of that route and that river turns and winds around mountains. Uh, you know, I would say within a hundred miles of driving that river probably flows 300 miles. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the cities and towns are shaped, uh, in really interesting ways. Um, Prestonsburg, for example, is basically a big C shape. It's a, it's wrapped around a hillside, uh, as the, as the river bows around Pikeville, just downriver is basically a big S-shaped city. So when you're looking at it from above, some of the other places in, in that area, Harlan, Kentucky, is basically a T-shape, right? So all these, I always kind of compare them to letters when I'm looking at them because because everything in that part of the country is built in the valleys. So all the roads, all the communities are all built in the valley, and compare that to a place like Austin, where I live, where everything's up, everything's on the high points and then looks down, all the, all the roads are on the ridges and all the homes are up high. And so it's, it's really the exact opposite in that area. Everything's valley based. And it's, it's very steep and it's very, very, narrow. You know, very. I, I, I remember when I first went to Stonecrest, I pulled a, a USGS topo survey. I was able to find one online and calculate, you know, it's, in the space of a quarter of a mile from the top of that ridge where that golf course is and the park is down to the to main street in Prestonburg, you know, that's a that's a couple hundred feet drop and not very right. far. So it's it's not like a rolling hills that you find uh, kind of in the elsewhere. These are some pretty steep folds. Now, they're not snow capped peaks like you get in the, the Rocky right. Range. Um, but, yeah, everything's either. You're either running the ridge on top, or you're in the val- in the holler in the the valley. Yep, before. yep, that's definitely the case. It's very, very steep terrain, and that's why you know a place like Stonecrest is so unique because it it exists where golf can exist. Uh, there's just the land out there is not suitable for golf, and there's very little golf in in eastern Kentucky or in southwest Virginia. The county I grew up in had 118 hole golf course, the Wise County, which is even more populous. They have 118 hole golf course and, and it you know that suffices for for them and there's just not much opportunity for 
for development of new courses besides what places like Stonecrest and Raven Rock uh, and how, how those places were built. Short of an active volcano field, are there many places that are going to be more hostile to creating a golf course? I mean, you're an architect, you're a builder. Um, you know, t- tell people that don't know anything about it a little bit about the the mining reclamation process and kind of what what that palette was that the the builders of Stonecrest had to work. Sure. So, in 1977, Congress passed what's known as SMACRA. It's S M C R A. It's an acronym. It stands for Surfing, Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act. And the third and fourth words in there, control and reclamation, that's what that act was intended to do. So they wanted to control what was happening on surface mines going forward, and they also wanted a process for reclaiming them. After that, because before the 70s, several states had already established some rules, but they were really loose and rarely followed. And there, there wasn't a clear direction for what needed to happen to these sites after they, you know, after the mining operations were done. And so what that did was bring it all under one uh, one guidance, the Office of, uh, I think it's, what was it? It's Environmental Management, I think, OEM. And so what they were tasked to doing is basically making sure that the coal companies are leaving these sites in at least a reclaimable state. Before, you know, if they're, they're basically taking the tops of mountains and filling valleys with them and creating these vast plateaus. And unfortunately, nothing's going to grow on there. So they they changed the process where, you know, they at least had to push what very little amounts of topsoil are available on these mountain sites off to the side and then reuse that at the end to cover it back up. And they had to do a, a better job of not doing those, those total valley fills. And they're trying to make it at least – somewhat comparable to, to how the terrain was before. Obviously, they're not entirely rebuilding the mountains as they were, but they do want to create an atmosphere where life can thrive and survive going forward. So theoretically, you know, in 100, 200 years, someone could go out there and you may know that the landscape has been disturbed, but it's not going to look like a barren wasteland. Right, and, and that's what was there before when you had people that because you literally scraped all the topsoil and all the subsoil, and you're getting down and you were you know blowing the top off the mountain, so you're you're dealing in rock. Um, you know the so they decided to so yeah so building rock is not how you build a golf course, so that's not an ideal place. I Absolutely say. not, and and it, it's um you know the equipment that they're using when they're doing these surface mines. My father is a geologist, and he worked for a coal company his entire career. And so he, his task was basically finding the coal. And, you know, then the, so I've spent really most of my childhood growing up kind of exploring around these these coal mines. And so when I was working on my senior thesis project, you know, I already had a few few places in mind that I thought, hey, this would be kind of cool to, to look at developing something like that here. But but Stonecrest was, you know, an active mining operation in the 90s. So they, you know, as soon as they finished mining, they finished mining and had this plan in place. And a lot of coal mines that were, you know, already reclaimed have just kind of gone back to nature somewhat. But Stonecrest was, you know, specifically like they, they had a plan for how they wanted to reclaim this. And they weren't the first um, surface mine to, to build a golf course, but they were probably the most successful, I imagine, um, out of the, I think there's, you know, there's really only four that I know of in the Eastern United States that have used coal mines and, and reclaimed them. And, um, but having that plan in place before the reclamation process, because once that's already been established, then you can't go in there and regrade. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about just like 
car and and dump truck size pieces of rock in there uh, under underneath the ground. So it's almost like a landfill in a sense that you can't really go down, you know, once it's established. So, and this was what, you know, and it's right there in town. I mean, the, the city of Prestonsburg is literally right below this mountain. So it's not like it, it was far off in the distance. You mentioned a few other um, reclamation mm-hmm. courses. Um, is Pikewood one of those, or is that just no, built on No, Pikewood is just up on, up on top. Um, Raven Rock is one of a, a reclamation project, and that's right across the state line, right on the state line in Jenkins, Kentucky, with, with Virginia, right off Route 23 as well. And then there's um, there's Twisted Gun Golf Course, which is in Warrencliffe, West Virginia, which makes uh, which makes Prestonsburg look like the burbs. Uh, it, Mingo County, West Virginia, is is as remote a place as you could ever find. And that golf course is, I think, six miles off the road, and it's a long six miles. It takes about 15 minutes to get up there uh, just when you get off the highway and then then there's the Pete Dye Golf Club which is up in north central West Virginia and that's probably um, it's a little bit different scenario it's not quite as uh, not quite as difficult to site and it's much closer to some population centers and uh, it's a private club so it's a little bit different than those other three talk to me a little bit you've obviously you've studied Stonecrest that was part of your, your senior thesis right. um Talk to me about what would have been kind of the design or the build process as opposed to a more conventional, um, you know, a, a new build on soil, whether it be good soil, bad soil, or otherwise. What What do you think were some of the unique challenges um, uh, in logistics? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious challenges would have would have just been working with that difficult to site, and I'm not sure exactly how much would have gone on in the early stages. I, I know just from studying old aerials that the the eastern part, which is basically the back nine, they had mined that quite a while before they mined the um, the western side or the front nine. So, you know, looking at, at aerials from 1995, you can see that, you know, the, the back nine had already been completely mined and they'd already made that big valley fill that goes down to the to the park below about where 12 green and uh, 13T is and all that area, you know, that had already been filled. And, and the other side, the front nine over there hadn't been mined yet. So obviously all that happened between 1995 and 2001. So the question I guess I had was w- whether they purposely put rock and dirt in places knowing there was going to be a golf course. Uh, you know, obviously that's going to be a much easier situation than, than hey, let's just let's just mine the site like we normally would and then see what's there. And then, then the architects can come in and obviously there's a residential component with this project that doesn't exist on, on some of the other projects that have been done. So I'm sure that was kind of all done concurrently, but yeah, obviously the, the big constraints typically on a, a site like this are going to be things like utilities, like getting water up there, getting, you know, a, having a place where you can actually have an irrigation pond or irrigation system. Um, you know, again, that's another thing where you can't really go down very far. So a lot of times you're in, you're going to end up building up that I imagine they imported a lot of soil out there and, you know, basically even just simple things like having trees on a coal mine reclamation site is not as simple as it seems. A lot of times you have to leave the ground really ripped up just to get those trees established just so they've got someplace for the yeah. that isn't just, just bedrock. 
Right. Because, I mean, the, the the equipment these mining companies use is make, make the little, you know, D5K dozer that I'm using look like a sandbox toy. So, they're, you know, it, it's a, it's an entirely different scale of, of equipment out there on a surface mine. You know, which makes me wonder, the, the, the first of all, I should tell people that this is a, a municipal right. course. This is owned and operated by the city. Of- yes, and it is the only one of the of the coal mine courses that is. The other three are, well, the two, the one in Jenkins and the one in, uh, in Mingo County were both developed by the coal company. And then Pita Golf Club is obviously a private um, club developed by the mining company, too. You know, the... Would you're faced with a, a problem like that in the logistics and just the amount of of rock and earth? I mean, you you've worked in rock. You're you're currently working <laughs> yes, to an extent. Um, do you think that you know that's a pretty smooth golf course? I mean, there's there's some radical elevation changes, but it's it's not you know one hole where you're teeing off. There's one hole where you're teeing off way high peak and and playing down a couple of hundred mm-hmm. feet, and that's dramatic. And that's the the photo op. Um, you know, 12 and 17, I guess, 17, 18 to a little bit. Um, but do you think they were able to, the, ar- the architects and the builders were able to move much earth there? Or do you think this was a kind of, you know, that's what the, the mining company left them, you know, have, having been there and having seen the aerials and, you know, they just made the best of what was left there? Or do you think they were able to actually move, get the big equipment to move that and, and make it into plane? Yeah, I'd have to imagine the routing process was hey, here's what we got, can we, you know, where can we fit? And obviously they, the, those holes still follow that existing ridge line, you know, that have been kind of blown off. And so it's, it, you know, it's, a, it's an out and back for the most part, besides that stretch from 14 through 16, which kind of plays back and forth a little bit. But for the most part, it's almost like a, a link style routing where you go out and then you come back uh, for, you know, first one direction and then the other. But I, I'd have to imagine they they were just working with what was out there. I don't think they moved a lot of, of dirt. Obviously, creating some of the features like the ponds and the, the you know using the retaining walls and you know most of those greens are on flatter portions of the property where like the 17th for example, which is kind of right there in your backdrop. I believe that's what that was. Yeah, and um, yeah. So I mean, you know, that green side right there looks like it was probably constructed. And what they may have done there is they may have filled that pond a bit. Um, just to create that that flatter spot, so there was probably a little bit of flexibility, but for the most part, you know, and that's a, that's the reason why there's so many long green to tea transitions because, you know, you just had to get to the next part of the property, and 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 you know you can only put a green on a certain slope, so there's not a lot of not a lot of cut and fill that was done, I imagine. No, and and to the course's credit, it it plays like a conventional golf course you know you don't have crazy greens that are you know falling off if you miss the green you're going down into a ravine or something like that they did a nice job with the routing of making it very playable you, know, you don't have to be an expert you know you talking about being you know wanting to play someplace different each sunday after uh, the last time i was down there uh, the university of pikeville women's team was in front of us and you know i just thought it was interesting that that you know that's not that's not the next town over and it's not just a 15 minute quick uh, hop in the car to get to the other side of town like that's an all-day commitment to get from pikeville to prestonsburg play um they were walking which i was very yeah i I guess they have to walk for their matches you know for for sanctioned events uh maybe no allowance for cars um but it was it's a special place and and for 
and maybe you can comment on this too, growing up in that area of the country, once one of those plateaus got reclaimed, I mean, those those changed the socioeconomic dynamics of a town. I mean, all of a sudden you had a flat place to build. Like you, you mentioned, there's a there's a housing component to Stonecrest. You know, Pikeville built a hospital uh, on one of their tabletops, essentially. Um, so talk a little bit about just the greater reclamation process and, and how that works. Yeah, I think anyone either associated with the coal industry, you hear a lot of politicians uh, from these areas bragging about these projects. And, and it, it's absolutely true that there is land there that is developable now that was not before. And uh, some other examples just nearby here, uh, there's a big sandy penitentiary area um, not, not far up. There's the big sandy airport down in Wise County. So the, the site that I actually chose after a bit of um, back and forth was actually a site that's very similar to this one that's just in, in Wise, Virginia. So there's University of Virginia's College at Wise right nearby, and there's a business and technology park up on top. And it's about, I think, 800 acres total site. And that there's also the Lonesome Pine Airport up there already. So there, there was already some some established businesses and, and ventures up there. There's Wise County Christian Schools, another thing that had taken advantage of that site. But there's also, you know, a big portion of it that hadn't been developed. And so the reason I chose that site was in in many ways similar to, to Stonecrest. And it was really nearby. It's really close to town. It had already been reclaimed. but was, you know, it had really sat fallow for about 30 years. And so there, there's been some nature come back. And so you, you can't quite tell it's it's a it's a coal reclamation site quite as much as you can tell uh, probably you know there in Prestonsburg in 2001 when that course opened you know it probably still looked a lot like a coal mine reclamation project it, it's definitely matured a lot in the last 19 years um, this with some of the native grasses coming back and there's some trees obviously that are that are starting to grow out there in some of the out of play areas and, um, but yeah the the opportunity to build things that that you couldn't do before. There's a famous, fairly famous event that happened in Grundy, Virginia, which is way down the Louisa River. I mean, like, it's basically at the headwaters down, down in Virginia. And and that they had a lot of flooding issues there in the city. And eventually in 1977, they had the worst flood they'd had. And then another one seven years later in 1984 and a lot of the businesses that were downtown just said we can't do this anymore they just closed shop and so then in 2001 they completed a, like a 200 million dollar project where they basically leveled a mountaintop just so they could move the entire downtown of grundy virginia from the river floor up to the top um and and so yeah and and, and again it's kind of just one of those things where everything's built in a valley out there and so the the peaks are too steep or they're too rocky or you know they're they're undevelopable almost and and so whenever you create that situation where hey you know now we have this thousand or fifteen hundred acre area what are we going to do with it and you know a few places like the city of Prestonsburg said hey let's let's do golf yeah they do golf there's a there's an athletic complex up there you know some little league fields and uh, it's right next to a state park. Um, you mentioned two things I want to to have you kind of comment on. You mentioned that Stonecrest is now almost 20 years old. Um, you know, I noticed the last time I was down there that as the one, it's it's windy as all get. Oh yeah. You know, so that creates its own challenges. You know, you can't over bunker a thing like that because I, I noticed almost that 
some really small, you know, gravel-sized rock is starting to kind of make its way up. You know, the, the big rocks sink, no matter what's going on on the surface, pretty grass, forest floor, whatever. The the big rocks are going to make their way down, and the little rocks are going to make their mm. way up. Uh, you know, with these reclamation sites, and your experience, and, and I guess with your dad, you know, your family experience, are, are there this kind of medium term, are the reclamation sites holding up, or is this... Is this a living golf course up there on top of that mountain? Yeah, it's what's kind of going. It's it's an ever evolving process. There's you know just like even even if that site had never been mined, there's still going to be silt running down and big storm events, right? It's always going to be some evolution happening out there, and the, whether it's forest or prairie or whatever it is, and and it's you know no different out there except that it's been messed with, and and you know no matter how many times you compact that site with a you know the biggest grader possible and the, you know, the, the biggest roller available, there's still going to be some, some movement out there. And like you said, some of that, some of that migration is going to happen, especially in, in things like bunkers and, and probably underneath the greens and subterranean environments, you know, where you've got to say on a green where you've got a mixed layer sitting on soil. I'm sure that bottom of that mixed layer now is pretty contaminated with gravel. And, and yeah, that's just kind of uh I wouldn't say it's a, it's completely abnormal whether it was a mine site or not, but it you know that it's just the extreme nature of the property and of the of what was left there before the golf course that's probably you know makes it maybe a little more noticeable. And you you had mentioned earlier about um, you know getting the infrastructure up there and the utilities. How do you go? Is the drainage pro- – you know, drainage is everything as I'm mm-hmm. in, in golf courses. You've got to make the water go where you want the water yeah. to go. Um, is that – on a site like that that's almost kind of tabletopped and rock, Talk. is there a uniqueness to that challenge? Yeah, I imagine because they, they did typically and, – and some of those areas are, you know, much flatter than what you'd find anywhere really, not just on a top of a mountain, but – so, yeah, I, I do imagine, and I mentioned earlier about the importation of soil, and I imagine there's quite a bit of that out there. And, and yeah, a big part of that, you know, the bringing into that soil would have been to create some surface drainage and get that water off the golf hole over to the side into a, whether it's a basin or just into a ravine. On a site like that, obviously, you've got a lot of natural places for water to go. And even though it's it's an unnatural site, it's still, you know, for the most part, still somewhat resembles the ridge line that was there before. Uh, it's just not as tall, but so there's still, you know, there's still lots of little nooks and crannies to get water. Um, I imagine creating the the irrigation pond would have been that would have been a challenging project. I'm sure that was um, that was lined. I'd have to imagine. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there are plenty of people with enough dynamite. <laughs> right. If if you can make it happen the first time. Now, now cost wise, yeah. I mean, you mentioned just getting utilities up there. You know, a lot of times these coal sites, will, you know, they'll have electricity and and they'll have a pretty good access road because again, they're coming in and out of there with some just monster equipment. So, so you know, getting up there, getting your equipment up there, having electricity, that's not the big issue. But getting potable water up there, you know, getting internet and cable for the homes and and the business natural gas if they have it you know all those would have been really challenging um really challenging projects obviously a little easier being close to town like stonecrest is you know we've the political willpower that's an area that has had traditionally has had some very powerful politicians from it from that area um that pocket of the the mountains 
you know, the political environment the last 15 years and the economic environment hasn't been great for the coal industry. Yeah. You know, and, and surface top mining has been a bit taboo to anybody closer to the point. Yeah, absolutely. Do, we th- do you think we've seen the last of, of this kind of mass reclamation project or, or are there still plenty of, you know, top mines or, or surface mines out there that – people are going to have to have creative uses for going forward. yeah the the mining industry is obviously slowly to a, to a crawl there it was you know in the 60s 70s 80s 90s even in the 90s in virginia you know that they had gotten all the coal that was available from underground mines and then it was well how do we get this coal that's further down or that's further up or that you know that's further underground well you know it became apparent hey let's you know we can take we can start making these big blasts, big cuts, and we can get to this coal. And that process has slowed to just an absolute crawl now. I mean, there's just a couple of active mines in Virginia that I know of, and and it, it's definitely a, an industry that's that's died along with tobacco, which was another big industry in, in this area. And so you've really had a kind of a double loss over the last 20 or 30 years in this area of two really important industries. And, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine you'll see very much of this going forward. And the main reason for that is because if you don't, if, if you're not going to develop it right when they're done, if, if somebody, if the coal company's already spent all the money that they have to spend to reclaim this site, the, the idea of a new developer coming in and saying, Hey, let's build a golf course out here. You know, you're really almost probably doubling the cost than if you just did it when you finished and with so few still active sites, um, the likelihood of, of a developer saying, "Hey, I think this is, you know, I think this is the way to go forward," is probably less likely than it would have been 20 years ago. Most of these developments all happened in between the mid 90s and 2005. So really, in about a 10-year period, all four of these uh, courses were built, and and there hasn't been one since. I want to say Twisted Gum was the last one, and I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure there will be another one. Well, it's they did Stonecrest right. It's a real treat to play. There's, you know, the vista and the views are incredible. The golf is fun. You know, there's, you can tell there's strategic interest, um, you know, going around the course. It's not just, hey, we're on top of a mountain. And no, there's, um, I like it more each time I play it. So, uh, but thanks for kind of talking me through sort of because it's so unique. You know, it, it's hard to even think about. That you've got. Um, yeah, that was an active coal mine. It was extraction industry. It was heavy industry, and all of a sudden, it's green space and it's relatively flat uh, in a place where that is—I mean—that is solid gold real estate. Yeah, all those things—all those things you mentioned—are really kind of what has driven the success of that project. Right? The design is compelling. It's not—it's not just a cookie cutter design. You know, the, the guys that designed it didn't do very many golf courses, but. They they did a couple. In fact, they did another one that I'm fairly familiar with in Bristol called Clear Creek, and I played that one a lot growing up. Our one of our big rivals in our district was that was their home course, and so we got to play there quite a bit. And so I've actually, you know, a bit familiar with really two of maybe three or four courses that that Chris Chrisman and, and Jack Sykes did. And um, it's not like everything else, you know, the courses out there, you know, because they're there's usually a limited amount of land available, and so a lot of times they're they're fairly mundane. There might be some interest in the land, but there's almost rarely any bunkers. Um, the the vistas you mentioned again, most of these golf courses are in valleys, so you don't really get that experience like you're up on top of a mountain like you do at Stonecrest. And 
so yeah, the, you know, compelling design, great views. Um, they, they did a really good job of that, of, of kind of maximizing their available land and going to the edges, you know, like on four and 13. Right. You know, and even three, you know, going down, you know, having kind of a, an upper fairway and a, a transition down was really cool. And it's, and it's interesting you highlight because Paintsville, um, the Paintsville community has given a lot to Lexington as far as golf pros and, and golf personalities, uh, people that are, are, are you know very important in our local golf industry. It, it all come from this that area, and they joke you know that that Prestonsburg's up there. It's on the pretty site up there, and then Paintsville Country Club is down. It's down in the holler, yeah. and you you kind of you kind of go up in the holler and you turn around and come back to the main part of the valley, and then you go up another little finger lane and come back and. You hop across, you know, under the road and over the swinging bridge, and you know it, it's a whole different character. But that's, you know, more traditional. Um, what you find in the mountains is that you're you're trying to make use of some of that limited valley floor where you've got soil and you can grow grass, but you can't keep can't keep a bunker there because every time it rains, that thing is it's you've just added sand to the creek. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're exactly right, Brian. Thank you so much taking the time yeah thanks david that was a lot of fun i appreciate you having me on to talk about stonecrest so hopefully they continue to have success moving forward a big thank you to brian for his help with this episode he knows that area down there so well and has such a different eye having the architect's training and the architect's brain there will be periodically additional episodes that help paint this picture of stonecrest so i hope that you'll stick around and check those out when they become available And hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Share an episode with your friends. uh, Blast it out on social media. Head over to iTunes and leave a review and a rating for the show. That way, everyone gets a Christmas present and we hold the Grinch off for one more season. I sincerely hope you liked what you heard here. If you didn't, sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now, but I will try to do better the next time. And I hope you will join me the next time here on the Blind Shots Podcast. Most importantly, until then, hope you're being safe and smart, keeping sane out there. 2020 is almost over. Next year has to be better, right? In the interim, stick to your training regiment, do decide to go for it, and take dead aim. Wait a minute, who is doing hardware home improvement things?